As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. Introducing your hosts, the multi-time world champion, Cool Hand Luke Bogacki, and the golden voice of drag racing, Big Jed, Jared Pennington. Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand, Luke Bogacki. Thank you for finding us wherever you find your podcast and allowing us to be a small part of your day. The Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast will be a weekly review of what's happening or what has happened in sportsman racing. Luke and I will be talking about all of the hottest topics, drivers, and events in racing today. Today's topic is certainly one that a lot of people that are listening to this show are going to be very passionate about. Junior dragsters. Look, the junior scene has really, really grown, and it's uh, it's really amazing to see where it's gotten to. It has. It's it's come a long way. Like, I was fortunate to be a part of the original junior dragster scene, at least in my area. Um, I've seen your junior dragster, by the way. <laughs> I've seen pictures. You that like that? Beautiful piece. Beautiful piece. That's right. We did it all in our in our garage. <laughs> my dad painted it. Um, but yeah, no, it, um, like, going back to, what is that, 1993, I believe, like, I actually won the first ever junior dragster race that we had at my home track at Texas Raceway. Like, that was wow. my claim to fame for the longest time. There was eight of us. I remember it like it was yesterday, and all eight were, you know, racers, kids, um, but that was the first race that they had, and, and I came out on top. I've still got the tickets from it. I think my best light was 720 back when 500 was perfect. But, awesome. Uh, I was a little bit better than the three in the other lane throughout the day. So, yeah, but obviously, um, as you alluded to, where that began and where it is today, um, 
you know, 20 some odd years later is night and day, just like I guess everything in our sport, it has progressed immensely. So we're going to try to play catch up a little bit today and, um, and talk about a few of the kind of dominant issues or a few things that, that are piquing our interest um, in the junior scene today. Absolutely. And, you know, we're all for the growth of the, uh, the class. Certainly, um, you know, it's where you started without it. You know, when do you start in racing? And uh, I was pre-junior dragster days. I remember the first one I ever saw. I thought, well, this is never going to work. <laughs> of course, like most everything in my life, I was proven wrong very quickly. And, uh, these, uh, these things are highly technical. It's, a, it's an awesome thing to watch the class and watch the young talent in it. And, you know, certainly, I, I can't speak for you, but I'm sure that you feel the same way about Gary. I mean, I want JJ to start in junior dragsters and learn the art of racing and, and sportsmanship. And I think those classes offer these kids a lot, of, a lot of that stuff that they're going to need as they continue on in their racing. No doubt. I mean, assuming that, that my little guy wants to be involved, and at this point, I'm pretty confident that he's going to want to be involved. He's all racing all the time. Um, but assuming that he does, yeah, absolutely. I would, uh, I would love the opportunity to share um, this sport that I'm so passionate about and has been so good to me um, with him and, and be able to enjoy that together. I think that'd be awesome. Absolutely. Well, you know, some of the hot topics that, that are up for discussion, and this is always seemingly first and foremost in all of our racing lives, but the increased cost, you know, uh, just like you, I'm not sure that when these things were brought to the racing uh, landscape in 1992 that that they ever dreamed you know the engines and, and chassis and all the things that you can put on it would would reach this kind of cost so. yeah it's definitely changed um i mean i know like that that car that we just talked about that my my dad i say my dad and i i was 11 years old i didn't have a whole lot to do with it that my dad built in our in our shop with the help of, of george watson at the time like we legitimately had like $2,500 in that. And that was a lot of money. Um, sure. Nowadays, like, that's not the tip of the iceberg. Um, but when you say that, like, I'm not sure that that's, it's, like you said, it's the way that racing tends to go. And I'm not sure that it's avoidable or completely avoidable anyway. What do you think? No, I don't think it is. Uh, you know, I think that uh, everything is, is obviously trending that way in all racing i i think that um you know just like me i want the best for my kid and i think everybody wants the best for their kid and uh, these these parents are trying to go fast uh, within as fast as the rules will allow anyway and um, you see a bunch of them going 790 at the track and that comes with its share of cost it's it's just something that seemingly everybody's willing to to do to to get their kid on the same playing field with everybody else yeah, as as a as a parent not involved in the in the junior dragster scene just yet, although I'm with you, I think it'll be coming. Like I can only imagine, you know, in my racing, like it's one thing to do without a, a part or a or a accessory, like regardless of the cost. Even if I think it could help me be more competitive, like I can say, well, that's five hundred dollars that I don't necessarily need to spend because I don't think you necessarily need that. I think it's harder to make that distinction with your kid. <laughs> like if there's something out there that would give them a better opportunity to win, like I think it's harder to 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 make that distinction and not want to give them every opportunity. 
<laughs> you you're uh, you couldn't be more correct i've i've got one um eaten up concrete in the basement that, that <laughs> jj hasn't even got in and went down the track in yet that uh, it took me about three years to build and it's been sitting there about three years and i've put um really stupid stuff on it that it doesn't need <laughs> every time he said i think i want that i went and got it right uh, so no, it'd be hard I, I not to yeah i think you're right on with that you know it, what I wonder and what I hope is that the junior racers at the end of their eligibility, you know, that they're transitioning into big cars. Um, you know, I'm not sure that our sport is growing at the rate of, of them aging out uh, in juniors. And, you know, I would, I would hope that we can find a way to keep them interested. Um, but I imagine cost is one of the reasons they don't transition into the big cars. Yeah, I mean... This is obviously, from both of our perspectives, coming from somewhat of a distance because we're not, at this time, directly involved in, in junior dragster racing. But it seems like, from my perspective, that the junior program as a whole is really healthy and growing. And like you, I don't know that the junior dragster drivers, when they when they reach that 17, 18-year-old mark and use up their junior dragster um, eligibility, I don't know that they're not transitioning into big cars, but they don't seem to be transitioning into our form of big cars. Like, I, you see some um, transition into super comp, super gas, you know, something in the NHRA ranks, and you see some transition into bracket <laughs> racing, you know, at their local facilities or even regional events, but it just, I'm with you, it doesn't seem to correlate the growth of the junior dragster program doesn't necessarily seem to be correlating in the growth of young people involved in what we're doing. Yeah, to me, it just seems like the uh, quote-unquote superstars in juniors are are maintaining that desire to, to go r continue racing, but, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the kids that are still learning, which, you know, I mean, heck, what did I know about racing by the time I was 18? Of course, I hadn't been doing it quite as long as some of them, but you learn so much more and into the, the 20s and 30s in your life, and you're able to comprehend it so much more that I don't think some of them's given themselves a chance based on the results from the time they were 10 years old to 18 or whatever. So, you know, I, I would I would hope that some of those kids continue on, and I believe that... Um, you know, we, we would all benefit from that, that kind of growth in the sport. Yeah, I agree with that. And I'm kind of anxious to get the insight from some of the guests that we'll have on the show today and, and maybe um, through our Facebook page, some insight from current junior racers and parents. Um, but like, and maybe we're just making too big a deal out of this because like that transition of when you run out of junior dragster eligibility that comes in, in the late teenage years, like, that's a transitional part of life. Like, I don't know that it's realistic to have, like, certainly not a 100% turnover rate from junior dragsters into big cars because, like, there's a lot going on when you're 17, 18 years old. And, um, sure. you know, big, like, life changes. You're going off to college. You're starting a, a life of your own. And, and I think for some um, kids, like, junior racing has really been a way to connect with their parents. So maybe transitioning into big cars as a way to keep that bond alive but i don't think that's necessarily the case for everybody so i don't know that it's realistic to say well every junior dragster racer is gonna continue in the sport um but it just feels like there's more turnover there than we originally thought or was kind of intended by the program so i'm interested to get some some thoughts from people that are living eating breathing it every day 
Sure. And you know, another subject that um, is very hot topic these days, I'm seeing a lot of it on social media, and I hear a lot of it from the parents, you know, the advent, the advent of, uh, of Big Buck Junior Dragster Racing, you know, it's uh, these um, races are getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's, it's like everybody's trying to um, create a lot of buzz by what they're offering to the junior dragster racers and yeah i mean it's nothing new completely like i remember in 1993 and all it was was um area racers and local businesses like donating money that would go to the winner of our junior dragster races but i remember that first year like i think i won a race was like seven or eight hundred dollars which was crazy you know what i mean like more money than i'd ever seen you know um so it's not like racing for for more money than the kids necessarily know what to do with is completely foreign but i agree like it seems to just be growing and getting bigger and and more widespread and more money involved yeah i believe the parents obviously with the the earlier topic we had about the increased cost i think that they're you know looking for that that reward that single day or or you know maybe even uh, uh, multi-series multi-race series rewards or whatever they're chasing but i i think they're looking for those big paydays now to try to recoup some of that so before we get into having some discussion with some racers and movers and shakers in the junior extra industry like what's your gut instinct on that like what's your take when you see a ten thousand dollar to win junior extra race uh well you know for the kids i think it's wonderful because i don't think they truly understand what they're competing for so it it takes away any negative vibe from them but um, you know much like any youth sport i believe the parents have a golden opportunity to to make it you know whatever they want to make it and some of them are not making it as good as they can some of them are promoting the wrong um, at attitude, some of them are promoting the wrong actions, and um, you yeah, know, I, I would think like... you get that to some extent in in anything. You know, I mean, you get that little league. Um, yep. So I, I could definitely see that. Like my first instinct when I think of that stuff is to, and I think it's most people's kind of first instinct when they see these big purses is to kind of balk at them and go, "Man, is that really necessary? You know, do we need?" 12 14 year old kids racing for ten thousand dollars um but then i think about it a little bit and i get a little perspective from some of the kids and some of the parents involved uh, a lot of it you know just that i have read on discussion boards and facebook's so like they they make it seem like a positive thing and i i just my own personal experience which again is two decades ago but i think back to when i was a kid and obviously junior drag station was way different but i lived for those bigger events you know at the time they weren't necessarily um you know five thousand dollar to win races but they were the prestigious events or maybe the events where they put up a little bit of money and but the money didn't mean anything to me it just meant that the best racers in my area region state whatever would all be there and it was my chance to measure myself against the best winning was a a prestigious deal for that reason like not necessarily because of the money so i could see that end of it too and at this point like how do you create a prestigious event 
like it either is something that is built up over time like the obviously there's nothing i don't think in junior drag racing that competes with the prestige of the the conference finals on the west coast and on the east coast um but that's not something like you could just put on and would have that type of following that's something that's been built up for 20 years um so you know like as a racetrack or a race promoter or even as a racer like if you want to have a prestigious big event in this day and age like how else do you do it other than dangling some money out there yeah shock factor you know you definitely definitely want to do something that somebody else hasn't done that, that gets you a lot of attention with social media especially as active as the the junior kids are on social media that's uh you know that that gets attention real fast and i think too like to some extent anyway um like I, I can kind of take a look back from that and say, you know, again, my gut instinct is to say, like, is this really necessary? But like I could see as a parent, like real, true teaching moments, because like I don't know about you. I've been to a handful of the big junior races in our areas just to do schools or whatever. And like it looks like the pits at a 50 grand or a NHRA division race. Like, there's there's huge rigs like there's a lot of money in there. But I yes. think it's really cool. Like on either end of it like if you're the the parents that have the means and and the desire to to have a, a big motorhome and trailer and your junior extra like your kid can lose to that kid that's got a three thousand dollar car in the back of a pickup truck and that's an opportunity to explain to them like look just because you've got all of this stuff don't mean that you're supposed to win you know what yeah. I mean? Like the race really Great comes point. down to what happens on the racetrack. And then obviously it's a teaching moment, vice versa, you know, for the, the kid that's out there in the in the back of a pickup truck with a low dollar car to realize like, look, you can compete at this level against these people. Like it's all, nothing matters until all four stage lights come on. So yeah. I think that that type of format really presents opportunity to do that. Assuming of course that the parents take advantage of it. Absolutely. And, you know, this is a very hot topic and look, we could discuss it and debate it all day long. The fact is that um, we're removed from this world and we need experts to, to help us understand it a little better. And yeah, really we probably sound like gas bags. So, yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> to really have an educated discussion, I, I think we're going to need to speak to some people who are living the junior scene on a regular basis. And typically, you know, you and I will try to line up one interview, but uh, here we want to get a perspective from a few movers and shakers in various roles within the junior dragster scene. So we're going to speak with uh, Candida Benson, which is the editor of NHRA's Junior Dragster magazine and longtime junior dragster advocate. Uh, she knows the sport in and out, especially from what the NHRA is wanting to see mm -hmm. from a growth standpoint. And Candida can offer us a, a lot of great insight. Uh, we're going to talk to Emily Parker which was the, the most recent winner of the Kentucky Big Bucks Junior Dragster Bonanza at I-64 in Kentucky, um, the largest uh, junior dragster payday to date that we know of. And Emily was the young lady that came out on top of that. And then Thomas Huddleston, Huddleston Performance. Uh, he's a premier supplier of all things junior dragster and uh, a guy that's been there in the very beginning and seen uh, everything this sport has done from a growth standpoint and and certainly from a cost standpoint as he's a major supplier so we're going to talk to those folks coming up soon and uh, we look forward to getting some insight from some experts in the field chasing down a finish line it ain't over till it's over and the line ain't on your side you running out of moves now he's got you in a bind they get all on the table put it all on the line
This episode of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast is brought to you by Racing RVs. Now, I'm sure at this point you've at least heard of Racing RVs. The Dayton, Ohio-based company is a big part of my own racing program. Racing RVs has been the major marketing partner on my Supergas Corvette for three years and counting. Racing RVs is also the title right sponsor of NHRA Top Dragster and Top Sportsman, and the company is heavily involved in sportsman drag racing on all levels. Racing RVs own Joe Fisher, his wife, his father, his sons. They all compete in Top Dragster, Top Sportsman, Super Comp, and Super Gas. They have for years. So I would assume that if and when you're in the market for a new or used RV or trailer, you'd give them a call, if for no other reason than because they support our support our sport more than any other dealer. When you call Joe and the staff at Racing RVs, that's when you'll be really impressed. See, he's a racer, so he understands your budget constraints and your wants and needs. Racing RVs offers in-house financing. They take trade-ins. They do consignments. They've got new and used RVs of all makes, models, sizes, and price ranges. Whatever your needs are, I'd be willing to bet that Racing RVs can make it happen. So if you're in the market for a new or used RV or trailer, Give Racing RVs a shot. You won't be disappointed. Call them at 419-236-1328 or visit online at RacingRVs.com. Again, that's 419-236-1328 or online at RacingRVs.com. Joining us now is a longtime junior dragster advocate and one of the most knowledgeable people in the sport. She's the editor of NHRA's junior dragster magazine, Candida Benson. Candida, thank you for allowing some time to join us today. Well, hey, thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Yeah, Candida, absolutely. Thank you for, for joining us here today. Um, now, as you know, because we've had several conversations over the years, um, way back in the day, 23 years ago, like, so many of the regulars in the sportsman and professional categories of our sport today, I got my start in the junior dragster ranks. And obviously over the past two decades, the junior dragster racing league has come a long, long way. What, in your opinion, have been some of the biggest changes and, and advents in a positive direction in junior dragster, junior dragster racing since its inception? Well, I think we've seen the participant level increase. Obviously, when you start out with something new, it's, you know, it, it kind of takes a little while to pick up and get going. But now we have a pretty steady, you know, influx year in and year out of the racers that come in. Obviously, the performance has changed quite a bit. Those who were around at the beginning remember the kind of stock Briggs and Stratton engines that you kind of adapted. Yeah. Now we have custom built ones that are specifically designed for the cars themselves and designed to go. 790 890 whatever it is that you're trying to do so technology as is the case with everything i mean right now we're kind of talking over the internet <laughs> which back <laughs> in the day we wouldn't have thought was possible so it's kind of the same thing with the technology the steady influx of new racers both second and third generation that we're now getting in there and also a new group that came in particularly around the time the disney channel movie right on track came mm -hmm. out that really that gave the program a huge boost. We saw a, a big increase after that. Well, Candida, I'm from Alabama, so talking over the internet is still a crazy thing to me. <laughs> I mean, we still did. We, I didn't even know this could happen until a couple of days ago. Um, Candida, tell us a little bit about 
the Eastern and Western Conference Finals, the advent of that, and how you guys have kept it so wildly successful? Well, Luke probably remembers back. Originally, there was one national championship race, and it was a highly successful thing. The problem with it is we had to restrict how many people could go to the events, and I believe at the time it was only 10 per track. Obviously, that made it really hard for a lot of the kids to participate. So in 2000, they split it into the Eastern and Western Conference Finals. And I think if you look at the numbers and and how things have gone throughout the years, that was a very good decision because we've seen the participation level stay up very high on both ends of it. And, you know, I might be a little biased considering that I am with (laughs) HRA, but I do think these are the two premier events. You still get to win that full-size Wally that... You guys are always chasing week in and week out at the national events. And at Bristol, at least, they get to race on the same track that some of their heroes, the Erica Enders of the world, race on. So it's a great opportunity for the kids, I think. Yeah, I don't sure, think there's and any questioning that that is the, the crown jewel of junior dragster racing to this day, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, I think it's a fair assumption, Candida, that junior racing has exceeded levels that, that were never even imagined. But... I know your efforts and, and a lot of people's efforts are to continue to grow the the sport through the junior category. Where do you see it going in the next five to ten years, if you can even put that into words? I, you know, it's hard to predict these things because even just in the last three, four or five years, we've seen such a huge change from changing the age groups, adding the junior comp class that is starting to gain a lot of popularity, primarily on the West Coast and so forth. So it's kind of hard to predict, but I think opening up the age groups was an absolutely wonderful thing to do because now we're tapping into a market that we were losing out on. You have go-karts that start that young, you have motocross that starts that young. So now maybe we can take some of the kids that we were losing there and pull them over here into a junior drag racing situation and maybe keep them long-term, you never know. Um, I just, I expect us to see more people coming in and just a continued level of success like we've had over the last several years, I think. Excellent, so not putting words in your mouth, but you feel like the motivation for starting the kids a little earlier in the last couple of years uh, has just been to stay competitive with other forms of motorsport and, and try to stay out in front. Absolutely, and I think also there was a huge interest from a lot of, you know, Luke, I know you have a son now, and I'm gonna go on a limb and say that he is very into drag racing and is probably <laughs> pestering you already. <laughs> yeah, at this so, point, it's hard to imagine him not wanting to do that in a couple of years, I agree. <laughs> yeah, so I think all of the parents out there were going, come on, Eddie Dre, please, my kid's been begging me, please, please, please. So it was kind of twofold, you know, to kind of service the customers that we do have and who were expressing an interest in this and also expand the market because like I said we were absolutely losing kids to these other sports because if you have a kid like yours who's pestering you I want to go racing I want to go racing I want to go racing and you keep telling them well you have to wait you have to wait you have to wait eventually you might kind of give in and want to route them another way mm-hmm. now you can put him in a junior dragster he can get the experience early on and as he grows up, he stays with the junior dragster, whereas before, if you had put him motocross or go-kart, he might like that, and he might stick over there and not ever try the junior dragster. Yeah, my initial thought when that came out is, my goodness, five years old seems awful young, but like Jared and I were just talking about off-air, like, there, I have no doubt that there are five-year-olds out there that are ready to do that, and there are, just like there are 
10 or 11 year olds that aren't you know what i mean it's very individualized yeah. i would assume yeah and that's where the parents come in i think mm-hmm. anything that you do with your kids the parents have to be actively involved with it and they have to understand their kids and know where they're at i have a friend that had a six-year-old when the rules changed who was absolutely ready to go in a junior dragster i had another friend whose daughter was the same age who was not ready to go in a junior dragster so she actually just licensed this year i believe she's either eight or nine now so it is up to the parents discretion and the parents do need to be smart about what they're doing and make sure that their kids are ready absolutely very good point now like we had discussed a little bit earlier obviously the the race cars the technology everything associated with junior dragster racing has come a long way since its inception obviously with that comes an inherent increase in cost and what jared and i talked about earlier although i'm not sure that that was the intention you know 25 years ago when this all got rolling i also am not sure that it's really avoidable in what we do like in any type of competition format and particularly in racing Give us kind of your thoughts from an, an inside perspective on those, the rising costs, or the, maybe the perceived rising costs of being competitive. Well, I mean, you know this better than anyone. Racers are probably their own worst enemies. Without question. When it, when it comes to this kind of stuff, because at the heart of it, junior drag racing is bracket racing. So when it comes down to it, a consistent car is better than the latest trickest thing, but that's hard for some people to really grasp and and follow. (laughs) And I will say this much, it is possible to win and not have the newest thing. I I know several families that race on a budget and they do so very successfully. I have a friend whose son won two championships at different tracks this year. And he does not run a 790 car. He's a 17-year-old racer. He runs, I believe, mid eight seconds Mm -hmm. um, for his car. And he's very competitive. So it is possible to do it cheaper. But like I said, you guys are your own worst enemies. You kind of want the newest thing. And, you know, you want to... You want to get a new car every year or you want to get the engine that's going to get you to the 790 mark or what have you and so i think it you're right it was unavoidable is it necessary to spend all that money absolutely not yeah no question um from your perspective on the on the inside again so to speak in terms of the junior dragster program funneling racers and, and fueling interest into racing at the at the next level like does it feel like the junior dragster classes are still that training ground for continued competition within the sport? And I would assume so. If so, what form of competition seems to be the most common landing spot for the junior dragster graduates? This one is actually a very tricky question to answer because there's really not an easy way to track the kids as they go through. Mm -hmm. For example, I just discovered a couple weeks ago that Corey Reed, who is the Rookie of the Year this year, started out in a junior dragster, and I just kind of stumbled upon it. So I do think that the kids are transitioning. My gut feeling, and just based on race results that I see coming in, a lot of them are doing it more at a local level. That doesn't mean they are not stepping up to other series, the Lucas Oil Series, etc. I kind of went back and pulled some stats this year because I was curious, and at the Lucas Oil Series, level at national events this year we had almost 40 wins by former junior drag racers and 16 of those were brand new people winning no, including wow. in national yeah, events wow 
in, in national events, including three kids who <laughs> I had to wait for them to get out of high school before I could call them <laughs> and talk to them about their kids. So, wow. <laughs> yeah, it does tell you that people are transitioning over. What level they're doing it at, that's kind of hard to track and say, but I do believe that we are getting a next generation of racers. One of the challenging things is that as the kids are transitioning out of junior dragsters, they're also transitioning out of high school and into college. And as people know, that's a huge time commitment. So it makes it a lot harder for them to do that. And a lot of the parents say, hey, I don't care if you race down the road, but you got to get your education first. Yeah, no question. Yeah. That's, that's what we talked about earlier. It's a, it's a transitional stage in life, so it's probably a, a, an easy point for some to just weed racing out completely or, as you mentioned, just kind of take a break from it. So it, it definitely hard to track, but from some of those numbers that you gave us, it definitely looks like that funnel system that, was, that this was all originally intended to be is still alive and strong. Yeah, absolutely. And we've had several who've won national championships, you are a prime example of that. And this year we had Bea Tedesco who won Super Gas. She started in a junior dragster. So it seems like year after year we're getting these kids that we've had some of them participate in the Summit Racing Series National Championships. I don't even know how many divisional races people have won because that one is really hard to track. <laughs> and we have over 200 national event wins through the years as well. So I, I think it is achieving the goal of getting people to continue on into the quote unquote big cars. Very cool. Well, Candida, again, we would like to thank you so much for taking a few minutes out of your day to share with us here. We had some great insight. I know Jared and I learned a lot, so I assume our listeners will be Absolutely. the same way. Um, for our listeners, Candida is an awesome follow on Twitter, whether you're looking for insight on the Junior Drag Racing League or NHRA Racing in general. You can follow her at Candida Benson. Um, Candida, thank you again so much for your time and insights here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Well, thank you guys. It was a lot of fun. You do the Kevin we by the 2016 Kentucky Big Bucks Junior Dragster Bonanza champion, young Emily Parker. Emily won the big race at I-64 in the Junior Dragster race uh, back in October, and glad to have Emily on the phone with us today. Emily, how you doing? Good. How are you? We are extremely well. Thank doing you for great. joining us. Appreciate you taking some time to, to be with us today. Thank you. You're welcome. Once you start out, Emily, you know, you're, uh, you're obviously the big winner in Junior Dragster of the Year, the, the biggest event to date, and, um, you know, I think it'll be interesting to find out a little bit about you. Let's start out with your age and how long you've been racing in Junior Dragsters. Um, I just turned 13 in September, Happy and birthday. I just, thank you, and I just finished my fifth year, just uh, whenever it ended, October. And I'm going into my sixth year next year. Wow, you're uh, you're a veteran then. You've been doing this quite a while. <laughs> yep. Obviously, you, you were at, uh, at I-64, but what's your home track? You guys are from the Indianapolis area, correct? Yes. Um, Lucas Oil Raceway is my home track. Okay. Very cool. Place has a soft spot in my heart, so. <laughs> 
Uh, Emily, tell us a little bit about how you got started and uh, and who helped get you involved in racing and keeps you in it today. My papa, Ed Parker, took my dad racing when he was just like a little boy about like my age. And when I was about six years old, my I started like going to the track with my dad. And one time he left me at home because he thought it was going to be too hot at Brown County. And I woke up and I was like, where's dad? And so I grabbed my mom's phone and I called him and he didn't answer. I was like, I'm never talking to you again. <laughs> and I was so mad at him. And when he got back home, that I guess that's when he knew that I just loved going to the track. And he, when I was eight years old, he bought me a junior dragster and I've been racing ever since then. Well, it sounds like you sent the message loud and clear that uh, you were to be at the racetrack every time he was. <laughs> so I'm assuming that uh, mom and dad are still heavily involved and in, in keep you going and racing today? Yes. All right, excellent. So, Emily, take us back a little bit to when you heard about the big race at I-64. I mean, you know, I'm assuming that you're like most any junior dragster racer. You know, you're racing at times for 50 or 100 bucks, and uh, now you hear about this event. Uh, paying that kind of money and you know it's going to be huge uh, did you know right off you were going did that take some convincing to the parents where, where were you on that well at this time I was already 13 and that means I could move up to a 790 class with like the high schoolers and more experienced kids and my mom my dad was all for it and I was all for it and then my mom was wondering but when I the weekend started out like really bad because our friend Jerry Adams told us the tree was a little bit different so my dad changed the stagger in the car and I couldn't find my spot and I was trying to find my spot but I was like I was not consistent at all and so he moved it back to the original and that's when I started to find the tree a little bit and then the day of the big bucks race I was very very nervous because I was like doing really bad that the rest of the like the other days and it was like my first, very first time with like older experienced kids in like a actual real race. And wow. I was so nervous because these kids are very experienced and they've, there was like really good racers out there. And I didn't know how I was going to do because the other days I was like losing and like not finding the tree. And when I won second round, I was like, I can do this. And I was pretty confident that I'd go into some rounds but when I was down to like a good amount of cars that's when I started to like relax and like I knew I could do it and when I got down to six cars it was all of my friends and like two other people that we didn't know but it was like all of my friends and we were all just like wow we can't believe we got down to this many cars <laughs> and you know, dad was so shocked because he didn't know how I was gonna do and when it was down to the finals it was unbelievable and right before the finals that's when I found out that my Pablo had passed and he's the one who all got all of us started in drag racing yeah that's a pretty incredible story Emily not only uh, what happened when it happened but the the fact that you found out about it prior to what you know is the biggest run of your life to date and got the composure to go out and still go through the process and get that last win line. How did you, 
how did you overcome such a devastating bit of news? Well, I was done prepping my car after semis, and I went into the trailer to get something, and I heard my mom's phone go off, and I looked at it, and it just had all these messages saying, sorry for your loss, and I kind of knew right then and there, and I was like, uh, dad, and he's like, yeah, and I, I was like, never mind, and I put the phone back, and in the staging lanes, I was, there was tears coming down because he was like, I was really, really close to him, and my friend Jerry Adams, he was such a great help to me and my dad, and he was, he had a talk with me and, like, helped me through it, and when I was staging my car, I was trying to, like, hold my tears in, and when I went past that finish line, my light came on, all these emotions just came over me, and I was just, I just broke down right then and there, and when my dad came and got me, we just hugged each other and cried because we couldn't believe that happened. Yeah, that's a very incredible story. Uh, you know, you talked about your grandfather early in the interview that he was one of the people that got you in racing. And, um, you know, the fact that uh, you were there racing at the time of his passing, uh, I would assume that that's exactly where he wanted you to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you had to overcome a lot of that. Uh, with the, you know, the changing the car, obviously the emotions you were feeling. Emily, I mean, can you describe the feeling you had about your accomplishment, whether it be immediately or days after? I'm sure there was an outpouring of people reaching out to you and congratulating you. Can you put into words how that felt? Well, the next day I just had like tons of people like that I didn't even know just come up to me and say congratulations and that that night when I won, I really didn't, like, know how big this race was. Mm. And the next day when my dad, like, explained everything to me, it was just, it was unbelievable and very, very exciting. And it was an awesome feeling to have because that you know that you're the winner of this huge race in junior history. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. No. Emily, just to kind of backtrack just a little bit, for some of our listeners that are – um, not as familiar with junior racing and, and how it works. Like, if if I understood you correctly, you typically compete with other kids like your age in your in by age group. And mm-hmm. as you said, you just turned 13, so you were eligible to step up to the 790 ranks for this event in particular. So you could go as fast as the faster cars. But obviously, you're racing against kids that have been. I mean, you've been in it as long as you can could could have been you know starting at, at age eight but you're racing against kids with a little bit more experience um and maybe a little bit more accomplished so kind of just as a general in in general like how was that different from your local race and and how cool is it to have come out on top uh against kids that are what 17 years old yes mm-hmm. well in 890 class you're like with kids your age and your your speed but when I moved up to 790 class they're going faster than me and I so they were like having to chase me down because I obviously got a head start but okay so you're actually still running close to the 890 mark yes okay I got you I went 890 and 
took all the weight off, and I was going about mm, eight oh no eight thirty two. Okay. And so I was like getting close to the seven ninety, but I was still like in the eights. Mm-hmm. This was my first time with the big kids, like in an actual real race, and it was just. I didn't really see it as another like something different. Like I just thought of it as my own race and with my my own group of kids that are my age. I think your results are indicative of that, Jared. We <laughs> in our last episode we talked with Jeff Verdi and talked about how improbable his. I mean, obviously winning two million dollar races in one season is like. I didn't realize coming into this interview that Emily's story is. I don't want to say similar, but almost as improbable. And then the whole story of the sequence of events throughout the day is incredible. It is incredible, Luke. Um, you know, Emily, uh, at such a young age, overcome things mm-hmm. that, that I'm not sure I would have gotten past on a day like that, especially with all that's on the line around the biggest event you've ever run in. Um, Emily, I've heard that you actually changed helmets because, you know, yours didn't have the right shield on it and what have you. And but it turned out to be a pretty special helmet that you had on in that main event. Tell us a little bit about that story. Yes, um, Jerry Adam. Well, at U.S. Nationals, I got a new helmet because my other one was about to be expired and I couldn't use it. So we just went ahead and got a new one. And this one didn't have like a shield, like the right shield on it. And so Jerry Adams let me use his helmet just so I could like, because the tree was like really, really bright. And so I used his helmet, and when I was started using that, I had, like, better lights, and I was more consi- consistent on the tree. And when I won that race, he said that he couldn't take it back, and he had to let me have it because he wouldn't take something back that I won a race in. And oh, he was, cool. I was just cool. Sound like Jerry's pretty special guy. Yeah, he really is. So... You've won the biggest junior race that's been held. Um, you, you have that title, uh, the first one at that. So there will never, ever, Emily, be another first winner of, of that event. So congratulations on that first and foremost. But, you know, as you're starting to age out here in a few years, where do you see yourself in racing? Do you do you want to continue on? And if so, what's, what's your car of choice? Yes, of course, I want to keep drag racing because that is my passion and I'm probably just going to stay in like a dragster because I know that kind of car better than like a door car or something like that and I started out in a dragster so I want to finish out in a dragster okay so your your folks need to be looking for a a big block powered dragster for you in the next few years then (laughs) yeah (laughs) so Emily we appreciate you taking some time with us today Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you Uh, congrats on an amazing accomplishment and a great 2016 season we wish you tons of success in 2017 and beyond and and we certainly uh, again thank you for taking some time to join us today no problem and I would just ask if I could like say some stuff just if that's okay with you absolutely no not allowed (laughs) go for it Emily (laughs) well I would like to say thank you to Jerry Adams for always having faith in me and helping my dad when my car 
broke down and keeping my dad calm as we went each round because Jerry has been such a big help even when we started drag racing and he's just like been my dad's best friend and helper through it all because he is just awesome with trying to make me succeed because he knows that I could do it. He told our, my dad personally that he thinks I will become something when I'm older. But Billy Fields and Sean Nevins for always helping me when I needed the help. And I wanted to give a special thanks to my grandpa because he tries his hardest to get me sponsors. Like he'll go everywhere and anywhere just to get me sponsors for drag racing. And lastly, I'd like to thank my dad and Papple for always having faith in me when I when I didn't and for giving something up that he loved to do just to help me with something that I have a passion for. And I don't say it enough, but I really appreciate what they have done and what my Papple has done and put in like put the time and money into just to help me get bigger and bigger every year. Very cool, very cool, Emily. That's uh, that was very nice and well said, and um, I'm, I'm sure those people appreciate it very much, and I'm sure they're happy to help you anytime they can. Again, thank you so much for coming on here and joining us today. We look forward to seeing some more success out of you in the near future. Yeah, Emily, you had, you had mentioned there that that uh, Jerry really believes you can become something when you're older. I would argue that you are already something that was uh, obviously a very impressive accomplishment but very very well spoken thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to share with us here on the sportsman drag racing podcast you're welcome thanks for having me our pleasure thanks emily have a great day you too this way alive banging on the door bump 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 until i get it in attitude like i am already winning it foot breaking in anything bottom ball before a 10 i'm rolling in the cutty switching feet like jerry hi guys it's luke bogacki here again with a shameless plug luke bogacki motorsports is not a mail order parts house we don't keep everything that you need for your race car you know what i do when i need wheels or ignition components or plumbing products I call 1-800-CALL-JEG. I do that weekly, and I recommend that you do the same. At Luke Bogacki Motorsports, what we stock are select items from a handful of manufacturers. These are products that we depend on in our own cars. We're an authorized dealer for APD carburetors and fuel systems, for K&N filters, BTE transmissions and torque converters, Mosier Engineering, Autometer, Flowfast, AirTech, Olin Shocks, K&R Performance Engineering, Sharp Stuff Trans Coolers, and Dead and Bear. If you're in the market for any of these products, give me a call. We stock common products, we offer competitive pricing, and more often than not, we can offer quality assistance and guidance. So give me a call at 256-679-8328 or find us on Facebook at Luke Bogacki Motorsports. Our next guest is a man that has as much experience in the junior dragster world as anyone. His family owns and operates one of the premier junior dragster parts and services operations in the country. And it's an honor to have Thomas Huddleston of Huddleston Performance joining us. Thomas, thank you for taking some time to talk with us today. 
it's good to be with you guys. Hopefully I can shed some light on the junior stuff and maybe give some people some knowledge they don't have about what we do. Yeah, no doubt. Um, Thomas, like Jed said, thanks for joining us. Now, personally, you're a, you're a graduate of the junior dragster ranks yourself um, years ago, just like myself, and your own driving career has taken you into the super competitive world of 10-5 racing and, and now into Pro Modified. Just give us, our, our listeners, kind of a, a brief recap of your driving career and the advent of Huddleston performance, just so that our listeners can get to know you a little bit. Yeah, uh, started out racing juniors when I was nine years old. Uh, started back with the kind of stuff that you grew up racing juniors, you know, Raptor motors, right off the of lawnmowers, that kind of stuff. Um, was fortunate enough to be in a situation where we could help bring along higher quality parts and pieces into the junior world and start our own business, Huddleston Performance. And, you know, from there it grew. Uh, you know, my driving grew both from inside the car and outside the car at a unique perspective of being able to drive the product that we sold. So, you know, even to the day that still carries along with me because a 12 year old sitting in a junior today, when they describe something that a parent maybe doesn't understand, I fully connect with exactly what they just said. Cause I've sat in their shoes. So, you know, it's helped a lot, both on the business side and the racing side because you just learn the disciplines that you need when you get into the big car world. Uh, once I got out of juniors, we went 10-5 racing at a time when the class was starting to kind of peter out on us. So, you know, that went away. At that point, focused on college, got education, degrees, all that stuff. Uh, then came back and focused hard on the family business. That's grown to a point that now we're pro-mod racing. And, you know, I still carry a lot of the stuff that I learned in the junior world with me and the pro-modified stuff today. So, you know, it teaches you a lot from not only the how to work on stuff, how to use your hands, but also how to read various time slips and know the numbers and all that. You know, a ton of what you learn in the junior ranks, you carry with you through your entire racing career. So, you know, it's an important stepping stone early in a kid's racing career to get everything right in the junior world. Thomas, not only have you graduated from junior dragster racing, you're you're in one of the most recognizable pro modified cars out there. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, we got the Lomad that we run Pro Extreme with. Uh, went 210 miles an hour at the end of last year with it. Been 370s all over the place, and you know, kind of had a situation where right time, right place, and right people had the faith in us. Uh, car literally wasn't even on our radar a couple years ago when we were going to buy a car to go race with. Uh, went and met with David Ellsbury, looked at some used cars he had. You know, he figured out, I think, that we were the right fit for that car. We certainly thought we were the right fit for that car. He offered it up, and we took him up on the offer, and kind of the rest is history since then. So we've been having a blast with it you know, running all over the Southeast, running with various series. So yeah, kind of going from a junior to a 10-5 car to a pro mod was kind of a hot, a quick hop, skip and a jump, but you know, it's been a good time so far. Uh, it looks really cool. Obviously you're pro modified racing, but you still have a vested interest. You and your family, both in junior drag racing, staying healthy and continuing to grow. Thomas, just to, you know, in your opinion, is it headed in the right direction? We, we still getting the growth that we want in that category? Uh, I think there's a lot of areas that we're going the right direction. Uh, one thing that's been exciting the last couple of years 
is as there's been changes within the organization at NHRA and such, there seems to be more reception to talking to those of us within the industry. So I'm pretty excited to see where that all goes. Uh, series racing as a whole, you know, there's parts of the country where it's not as strong as it once was, but there's other parts where it's stronger than it's ever been. So I think we've seen just a shift in, you know, the hotbeds of junior racing. So, you know, overall, I think it's headed the right direction. And, you know, with having the NHRA crowd wanting to continue at that direction, I think the future is bright for the sport as a whole. What about the, the kids as they kind of graduate from the junior ranks? Now, obviously, as we documented, you're a graduate of there, and obviously from a driving standpoint, you've moved way up and continued within the sport. Do you see a lot of that as the junior dragsters, racers today kind of use up their driving ability? Like, are they continuing and racing in some level? And what seems to be the area that the majority of them fall into? Most of them tend to fall into the you know, local bracket racing, maybe super comp, something like that. Uh, we see a ton of junior racers graduate into the big car ranks. So, you know, I think it's something that we are still seeing it work well as a feeder system into the big car world. Uh, the one thing that I'll say I see a lot of, um, not a lot of, but where I see, I think families potentially make a mistake depending on their driver. Um, is when they pull them out of the junior ranks early and stick them in a big car too early i think you wind up in a situation where you know you can burn a kid out you can scare a kid you know putting them in too fast of a car too early so most of the most successful ones that we see tend to finish out the full 18 year old junior career you know run it all the way through its course then they go on to the big car world and i honestly think they're just more prepared when they get there then when you pull them out at say 15 or 16 years old and start doing the local bracket racing scene so you know we see a lot of them going into the big car world the ones that make it through 18 and run the entire junior deal tend to be successful fairly early on in the big car world the ones that get pulled out early you see kind of a mix there some some are successful and some aren't quite as successful I see. In, in our world, we see a handful of kids kind of splitting time, still racing the juniors and getting into a, a footbrake car or a super pro car to mm -hmm. some extent. Like, what's your take on that? Like, is that a good mixture? Or would you, would you, I guess it depends on the kid, but would I was going to say, it depends it on the driver. Uh, it certainly benefits their junior career. I will say, when we see a driver splitting duties, they tend to be sharper in a junior than they were prior to that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how much it tightens up their big car stuff. That's a hard one to say because a junior is so much different than any form of a box or no box type big car that, you know, I don't know. I think the looks at the track, the looks at the tree, that kind of stuff, you know, just getting more on track time certainly helps. Um, but yeah, as far as the juniors are concerned, we certainly see kids that can pull double duty. They tend to just have a better skill set than the ones that are solely focused on juniors or solely jump up to the big car ranks. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, Thomas. You know, it's very common these days we're, we're seeing big buck junior dragster races. And with the increase in popularity, do you feel like that junior racing is possibly getting too serious? Or is it simply just preparing the participants for the next level? I think there's a tight rope that we're walking there with the big money events. Um, one thing with the junior world that's a bit different than the big car world is 
our particular industry, short of a few of us that were there from the beginning, it doesn't have much of a memory. You know, every six, seven, eight years, we get a turnover of older kids age out, younger kids are coming up. So we get an influx of what's coming in and what's going out. Mm-hmm. What that brings with it is sometimes the sport doesn't always remember everything that has happened in its past. So, you know, like right now, it appears that we have a lot of big money junior races. Big money junior races aren't necessarily a new thing. You know, back when I was 12, 11, Uh, years old we used to have five grand to win races over at jackson dragway it's not this new concept it's just being implemented in a new way so you know these days we're getting bigger purses you know five ten thousand dollar type purses we are getting more of those and i think there is a tightrope of getting too serious with that kind of stuff you know you don't ever want to get to a point where guys sitting there thinking i won't even take my junior out for less than five grand that's <laughs> that's wrong headed in general so yeah you know there's definitely a point where you can go over the hump i don't think we've reached it yet but you know one thing you have to watch this stuff over a long-term span because you know putting on one race putting on two races even putting on three races that's not that hard of a thing to do building a steady race that's year in and year out every year that's a much harder thing to do so you know some of these races that are popping up a five grand here 10 grand there 15 grand here let's see if those races still exist five years from now and that'll tell us a lot about you know the people that are putting them on that kind of stuff so you know the way it is right now where they're kind of pop-up races no i don't think it's negative if we get to a point that there's a lot of these things and like i said some guy gets to a point where he's not going to unload his junior unless it's for a lot of money okay yeah we've got a bit of a problem starting there well said yeah that's fair <clears throat> right thomas um thank you again so much for your your time and insight here for our listeners that that want to uh want to keep up with you where can we locate you on social media to follow you yeah, um, on Facebook, we're at Huddleston Performance, and we're at uh, the Lomad Pro Modified, so you can keep up with the junior stuff at Huddleston Performance, or you can keep up with the Pro Modified stuff on the Lomad Pro Modified page. Uh, and on Twitter, we're at the Lomad 1955 So, yeah, you can find us there, and we'll be out. We're working on 2017 stuff right now, so hopefully we'll have some announcements coming here in the next week or two for PRI and be ready to go next year. Awesome. Well, we'll stay tuned for that and wish you the best of luck in the future. Thanks again so much for taking a few minutes out of your busy day to uh, share some of your time and insight with us here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. And, you know, you ever want to ask any more questions about juniors, I'll be available for anything you guys want to do. I'll be in touch. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be there. Thomas, Give me a shout. We appreciate your time. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. All right, that will wrap up our episode two, a look at junior dragster racing. Thank you again to our guests, uh, Candida Benson, 
Emily Parker and Thomas Huddleston for joining us today. This episode again is um, the finale of a three-part launch for the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. So if you haven't already, make sure to go back and listen to episodes triple zero, which was kind of our introduction about us episode, and episode one in which we kind of review the 2016 Sportsman Drag Racing season. Our goal is to release a new podcast every week of the calendar year. So stay tuned. Plenty of great content going forward. Be sure to subscribe to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast wherever it is that you find your favorite podcasts. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And do us a favor, um, rate, review the podcast on um, whatever app it is that you're accessing us. Again, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. SoundCloud. Those ratings and reviews are how we kind of move up in the rankings so that more people can find us and enjoy the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. And finally, be sure to join the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast fan page on Facebook to interact and become part of the conversation. Thank you all again for your time and listening, and uh, we hope to touch base again next week. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.